Hello, this is Ashley Chase welcoming you to the Mark Driscoll Podcast. For more content from my dad, Pastor Mark, Senior Pastor here at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona, visit realfaith.com, where you'll find study guides to go along with each sermon series as he preaches verse by verse through books of the Bible, daily devotions, free ebooks, and more. Now grab your Bibles and get ready for today's sermon. Be with us tonight, amen? Hey, whether you're joining us live or online, we just wanna say thank you. It's a great and tremendous honor to have you. And uh, just a bit of an Easter recap. We had the biggest attendance in the history of Trinity Church. We had people standing up. We couldn't get all the cars on the property. Pray for us as we are finishing our property, getting ready to launch uh, a fourth service. We're over capacity and we've got to figure out what to do. It's, I love our problems, amen? I, every church has problems. Our problem, we have too many wonderful people and not enough seats and parking. I like our problems. Um, and I want to say as well, for those who joined us online last week, thank you. Between the Good Friday documentary and the Easter sermon and clips from them, I think we reached 13 million people in, uh, in one weekend. And so praise God for that. And this week I was up in the mountains with Grace. I slept a lot um, and I've taken this weekend off. And I am so honored to bring to you a very dear friend of mine, uh, Pastor R.T. Kendall. And he has been, he is a legend. He pastored Westminster Chapel in London for some 25 years. He's been married to his wife, Louise, for what now, 64 years? Thank you for joining us. And we just wanna say we love you. It's an honor to have you. He brought his wife, his son, and his grandsons. And we brought him out to Arizona to have some fun as a family. And so we're very honored to have your family. He's been in the pulpit 64, 65 years, written I think what's approaching 100 books. We had the honor of meeting some years ago and he's become someone that I just quite frankly love and enjoy. And if somebody is faithful to Jesus, their wife and the Bible for 60 some years, I just wanna take notes. So that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna just sit here, enjoy the sermon and take notes. He's going to speak on sensitivity of the spirit. And uh, this is a book that he wrote on that subject. Uh, his books are in the lobby if you'd like to grab some on the way out. Last time he was with us, he preached on total forgiveness, which is kind of his life message and the best book written on forgiveness. And this year I asked him to speak on sensitivity of the Holy Spirit. Just imagine if as God was speaking, you were listening, as he was warning, if you were heeding, as he was commanding, if you were obeying, it would change the entire course of your life and legacy. And so I want you to uh, do me a great favor and please stand and give a very warm welcome to Pastor R.T. Kendall. Thank you. He made you stand, so I'll make you sit. Thank you, Mark. Great, great honor to be invited once, and now to be invited twice is a double honor. And uh, this time, Louise is with me, our son, T.R. His wife would be here, but had a little accident, had to go to the hospital yesterday. Uh, but we got our three grandsons, and um, thanks to Mark, which is having a delightful weekend here in this part of America. Well, I want to read to you uh, certain scriptures as a background of the subject, sensitivity of the spirit. Uh, so first, would you turn, if you have your Bibles, or maybe it'll be on the screen, John chapter 1, verse 32. This refers to John the Baptist when it says, and John testified, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained on him, or rested on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one you see the Spirit descending and resting, or the Greek really means remaining on him, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And then from Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. So, here it is. I've got a brand new version that a man gave me a few weeks ago, and I can't, I'm used to where, knowing exactly where it is. Here we go. 
You'll be pleased to know I found it. Verse 30. <laughs> Ephesians 4.30. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting, and slander be removed from you along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God has forgiven you in Christ. And then I will be referring to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 10, where it is stated that the Lord was grieved with the people and grieved that they don't know his ways. Well, may God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this, his most holy and infallible word. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be received, heard as you intend. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent instrument to say everything that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Help me to be very, very clear, very, very simple. May this be life-changing and a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What I share with you today came as one of the uh, insights that I received in my 25 years at Westminster Chapel. Um, I didn't see it as anything novel or different, but I just kind of fell into it. And the more I thought about it, I realized how little has been written on this subject. In fact, I asked a friend of mine, Dr. Michael Eaton, he went to heaven about seven years ago, the most learned man that I've ever known. Ever known. He uh, read everything from the apostolic fathers, the church fathers, the medieval scholastics, the reformers, the Puritans, the neo-orthodox, and if it was out last week, he would have read it. And I asked him, has anything in the history of the church been written on the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit? And he said, there's nothing. I rather thought that, and so this may be something that you want to adjust to if you haven't been exposed to this, but I hope that it'll be so clear to you. And uh, I would have thought it's the most life-changing insight that I have ever received. To understand the nature of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and an aspect of the personality of the Holy Spirit. Now, we all want the fire to fall. We want the Spirit to come down a great power. But there's another way of looking at this, and that is for the Holy Spirit to be experienced when he has not been grieved. In John chapter 16, verse 12, when Jesus introduced the Holy Spirit to the disciples, uh, he said, I have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. Now, they would have said, of course we can understand them. Tell us more. It's like when Jesus said, are you able to be baptized with my baptism? I said, we're able. And so we all think that we're ready for more. But Jesus knew exactly what the disciples, the 12, could take. And he withheld certain things. And by the time we read the apostles' Uh, various understanding of the gifts, how the fruits, and then how the Holy Spirit could be grieved, we would see the disciples couldn't have grasped that because it, the Holy Spirit, first of all, was entirely new to him. They weren't even expecting anything like this. But we introduced this by pointing out that when John the Baptist saw Jesus and he saw the dove come down, and he says the dove came down and remained on Jesus. Why did he say remained? 
As a matter of fact, he said it twice. The very next verse also says the Spirit came down and remained. Well, one way to put it is, I know what it is for the Holy Spirit to come down, but it doesn't remain. I know what it is to feel the presence of God, and I wish it happened every day. In my case, it doesn't happen every day, but when this does happen, when it comes down and God is so real, he is so real, that we say, Lord, please, please, please stay. Don't leave, don't leave. And in that moment, you think, after this moment, I'll never doubt God again. He's so real. And you just say, Lord, please, please stay. But life goes on, and hours later, you think, it's not like it was. Where, where did he go? What, that wonderful sense of his presence, he's so real. In fact, if you won't misunderstand this, there are times when he's so real. For that moment, you don't even need faith. It's, I mean, he's that real. It's like seeing. But then, for some reason, the dove just lifts. You think, what happened? Well, maybe it was when you were driving down the interstate and the person in front of you going so slow and you get so angry and you roll down your window, what's the matter with you? And the dove just flies away. <laughs> or maybe you're in a supermarket and you're in a hurry and you're at the cashier, but there's this old lady in front of you counting her change. And you think, oh, you wanted her to hear you. She did, but so did the dove. He just flew away. And what I've learned is that the Holy Spirit will not bend the rules for me. And this is the thing. You, you feel that you've got this intimacy with him. True. But it's in connection with when the anointing is real. And so we find out that the New Testament describes the Holy Spirit like a dove. It's not only the dove, it's the fire, the wind, you could say oil. But why the dove? Well, at the natural level, the dove is a very sensitive bird. I don't know how much you know about doves and pigeons. Pigeons and doves are anatomically the same. There's no difference. Anybody would cut open a pigeon or a dove, the same, same gallbladder, same spine, everything. But they are different in temperament. For example, you can train a pigeon, but you can't train a dove. A pigeon is boisterous. A dove is gentle. I've written a book called uh, Pigeon Religion, <laughs> based upon the fact that some, as people don't usually know the difference between a dove and a pigeon, they can't tell the difference between the authentic Holy Spirit and the counterfeit. Uh, they say, you should have been in church Sunday. The Holy Ghost came down. And you get close and you examine it. It was pigeon religion. <laughs> People, just because there's noise and jumping. But the dove is very gentle. In, in my book, Pigeon Religion, I think I give 18 or 19 differences between the two. Now, here's the point. To get to know... The dove, as it were, the Holy Spirit, his personality. The thing is, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is a very, very sensitive person. For example, when Paul says in Ephesians 4.30, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, he uses a Greek word that means get your feelings hurt. You say, the Holy Spirit can get his feelings hurt? Yep. He's a very sensitive person. You know, when we think of a person being hypersensitive, uh, it's not a compliment. But that's the way the Holy Spirit is. In fact, when I first wrote the book, I tried to get the publisher to call it the hypersensitivity of the Spirit. And they talked me out of it, said people won't know what you mean by that. I, I agreed. But the point is, he is so sensitive. You say, well, he ought not be like that. 
But that's the way he is, so get over it. <laughs> it's the only Holy Spirit that you have. And it's an aspect of the Trinitarian God that we need to know about. You see, God lamented of ancient Israel. He says, my people have not known my ways. See, God wants you to know his ways. You may not like all of his ways, but accept him as he is. Did you know that uh, Oprah Winfrey turned her back on her evangelical heritage because she heard her pastor in a Baptist church in Mississippi when she was a teenager say that God is a jealous God. And she says, I don't want a God like that. And she never looked back. You say, well, she's done pretty well. I would just say this. I wouldn't want to be in her shoes for anything in the world. The thing is, to turn your back on the way God describes himself. You see, he's not going to accommodate you by being what you want him to be. He will not adjust to you. You must adjust to him. And so it is with the Holy Spirit. Some years ago, a British couple were sent by their denomination to Israel to be missionaries. And they were given a, a home to live in Jerusalem. And they realized after they'd been there a few weeks that a dove had come to live in the eave of the roof of their house. And they were so excited. It was kind of like a seal of God on their being on Israel. But they noticed that every time they would slam a door, the dove would fly away. Every time they would get into an argument with each other and start shouting at each other, the dove would fly away. And one day, Sandy said to Bernice, he told this story all over Britain, have you noticed the dove? Oh, yes. How do you feel about the dove? Oh, it's like a seal of God on our being in Israel. Have you noticed that every time we slam a door, we get into an argument and start shouting at each other, the dove just flies away? She said, I'm so afraid the dove will fly away and never come back. And he just looked at her and said, either the dove adjusts to us or we adjust to the dove and it changed their lives just to keep a bird in the eave of the roof of the house. But he remarked how that changed him. And the Holy Spirit is a hundred times more sensitive than that. And so he gets his feelings hurt. You may ask, well, what hurts his feelings? Well, Paul explains. He said, right after having said, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, right after that, he says, let all bitterness and anger and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you. You see, here's the good news. The good news is that we never lose the Holy Spirit. Jesus said he will abide with you forever. The bad news is, we lose the sense of his presence when the dove comes down. And I've come up with a word, I don't know that I coined it, it, it ungrieved. You see, the Holy Spirit is in every Christian. If you have not the Spirit of God, he's, you're, you're not even a Christian, according to Romans 8, verse 9. But not all have the ungrieved spirit in him or her. When the Holy Spirit is ungrieved, that way we can sense God's presence and hear his voice and know the next step forward. You perhaps read John and it talks about when the Holy Spirit comes, he will remind you of what you've learned. How can that be? You know, these disciples, they would hear uh, all the sermons. I think of the sermons that the 12 heard, the Sermon on the Mount. They heard the parables. They heard the dialogues with Jesus and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they've wondered, how can I remember all this? 
Perhaps when you hear Pastor Mark, you think, oh, this is so good. If I could just remember it all. Here's the thing. The Holy Spirit will remind you. The thing is, if you haven't sat under the teaching or under the preaching, uh, then there's nothing there. A lot of people today said, what I need is the Holy Ghost to knock me down. Yes, if you fall when you don't know anything and you're empty-headed, you'll be empty-headed when you get up because there's nothing there for the Holy Spirit to remind you of. The thing is, when you take the time to read the Bible, listen to teaching, you don't get it all. But the Holy Spirit ungrieved. See, that's the key. He can be grieved. And when he's grieved, the promises of Jesus about the Holy Spirit are not likely to be fulfilled. And so he will teach you all things. He will remind you of what you've learned. And that's the sort of thing. There's no way the disciples could take that in. They were just learning about the paraclete, the one who comes alongside. He's going to be with you. And so when Paul says, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, he's making you understand that this third person of the Trinity is a very, very sensitive person. And when he is ungrieved, then we can hear him. You know, the Apostle Paul talked about the unity of the Spirit. What is the unity of the Spirit? Well, let's take two people. Suppose Mark and I meet, have such great fellowship, and it just, we just can sense the Spirit of God in the other one. Then another person comes along, joins us. Oh, he too enjoys the ungrieved spirit and say, come on, talk with us. Then here comes a fourth person who is not quite in our wavelength. And he says, you know what's wrong with this church, don't you? And immediately you think, oh, no, it's broken. It's so easy for one person to mess it up for everybody. And can you imagine what it would be like if everybody here enjoyed the ungrieved spirit, so the spirit comes down and remains. We just sense it each, in each other. You know, what needs to happen more than anything else, I wish somehow I could leave a deposit on Trinity Church, Scottsdale, where they find out what's going on here, and everybody wants what you've got. And when they want what you've got and they see what you have, I can tell you they'll come from all over the United States to see what is different. My friend Arthur Blessed, he's, he's an old man, but not as old as I am, actually. <laughs> not many are as old as I am. Hush. <laughs> Arthur Blessed was carrying his cross. I hope you know who that is. He, he is one of the early... Not you could not the founder, but one of the beginners in the Jesus movement back in the 60s. And he started a ministry on the Sunset Strip in Hollywood. And uh, they just had coffee and orange juice and put a cross on the wall. He built the cross. He said, if I knew I was going to have to carry it, I wouldn't have made it so big. <laughs> but one day, everybody thought he was crazy. He told me he was praying at 5 o'clock in the morning. I always assumed he got up to pray. No, he'd been up all night, and it was at 5 o'clock. The Lord told him to take the cross down, carry it on foot around the world, and people laughed at him to scorn. He didn't set out to do this, but ended up breaking the Guinness Book of Records for the longest walk. He's carried the uh, cross something like 40-some thousand miles, once around the world and twice. And... Uh, he stayed in Prime Minister Begin's home. He was given the Sinai Peace Medal. He got to know Yasser Arafat. And one day he was carrying the cross and he came into Amman, Jordan. He was hot and thirsty and came upon a holiday inn, put the cross down, and he noticed that the place was heavily guarded, police everywhere, but he said, nobody stopped me. I just went in and went downstairs to the basement, to the bar, and I got a Coke. He says, I always remember the Coke because the bartender put a cherry in it. And he said, when I finished my Coke, I reached my wallet to pay. And the bartender said, 
Somebody's paid for your drink. You don't owe us anything. Arthur said, who did that? Well, the man down at the end of the bar, and it was an Arab sheikh. So Arthur just walks down and says, well, thank you for paying for my Coke. Uh, and the Arab sheikh looked at him and said, I want what you've got. Arthur said, what do you mean? I want what you've got. Arthur said, well, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I carry a cross around the world. The Arab said, look at all these people. Nobody's smiling. I look at you, and you've got a smile and a shine. I want what you've got. Well, Arthur took advantage of the moment, gave him the gospel, led him to the Lord, and then the Arab sheikh says, come with me. Went to the top floor where the OPEC conference was being held once a year, and all the oil men from the Middle East came there to meet, and this sheikh was the leader of it and got all the Arab sheikhs quiet and said, I want you to listen to this man. And our, our Arab, Arthur gave these Arabs the gospel, and two-thirds of them prayed to receive the Lord. Now, the point being, there was just something about him, Arthur, and I can believe it. Uh, and the thing is, so many of us don't reflect a countenance that people even want what we have. And it goes back to having the Holy Spirit ungrieved. And so, says Paul, let all bitterness be put away from you. You see, we all tend to justify our bitterness. Because when we are bitter, it always seems right. We're just angry. And we justify it. Don't let it bother us at all. But what happens is that the Holy Spirit feels it too. And he just kind of goes away. Well, howdy, Pastor Mark here. I hope you're enjoying this sermon. And uh, if you have prayed for or partnered with us, thank you. You're helping us reach 200 million people through Real Faith Ministries this year alone. My wife, Grace, and I, uh, we love getting Bible teaching out, and we have got a veritable mountain of free content that's all available at realfaith.com. If you're married, we got a podcast. If you've got kids, we've got parenting resources. If you're a guy trying to get better and level up, we're here to help with real men. And for those of you who pray or give or help us in any way, we just want to say thanks. It means the world. We are entirely supported uh, by our partners who give generously. And if you would like to give a gift of any amount, uh, we stretch every dollar. Uh, I'm told for every dollar you give, we're able to reach 100 people with some sort of gospel-based, Jesus-centered Bible teaching. For a gift of any amount at realfaith.com, we'll send you uh, an ebook that I'm super proud of. It's my systematic theology with Gary Bashirs. It's called Doctrine, subtitle, It's All About Jesus. Some years ago, I published uh, the Doctrine book, but I rewrote it. It's about 50 to 60% new. The Doctrine is the same, it's deeper, it goes more into the Holy Spirit and the demonic. And I'd love to get this massive resource into your hands. So thanks in advance for your prayer and partnership. I can tell you. What the disciples could not grasp, we can, is to understand this aspect of the Holy Spirit. And so God lamented of ancient Israel, they have not known my ways, and went on to say, I swore in my wrath they would not enter my rest. And the reason the writer of Hebrews quotes that verse is because he was showing all these believers, the importance of coming into their inheritance. Now, every Christian is called to come into his or her inheritance. Some do, some don't. Those who do are promised not only the God swearing an oath to you where he's real and nothing is ever the same again, like God swore an oath to Abraham. The writer of Hebrews is showing that the people of God can know this kind of experience with God. 
where God is so real. But there are those who don't come into their inheritance. They take not seriously the promises of God, the warnings of God. And the writer of Hebrews says to these Hebrew Christians, he says, you've already become hard of hearing. Now, my wife uh, had a ministry to the death, deaf, death, <laughs> deaf, D-E-A-F, first mistake I've ever made. <laughs> and she had an accident with her ear, burst one eardrum. Luckily, it, it, praise of God, it was healed. But we had a ministry to the deaf in London where by the time I left, I think we had 15 or 20 people would come every week just to hear preaching, and she and others learned to sign to the deaf. Now, we learned a little bit about deafness. Sometimes it can come suddenly, but it's often gradual where you put your hand over your ear. That's me. In fact, then you, you need to get a hearing aid, and, and that's me. It's what I, I don't have it on now, but it, I've been getting worse, worse, and worse. It worries me. These Hebrew Christians are already hard of hearing, and the worst scenario would be for them to come what is called stone deaf. You can hear nothing. And that's the explanation of Hebrews chapter 6, probably the most difficult verses of the Bible. Hebrews 4 through 6, who had experienced the being partakers of the Holy Spirit. They were saved. These were Christians. There's no question about it. Uh, partakers of the Word of God, powers of the world to come, but fell away, not from being saved, but came short of their inheritance, which was promised to them. And as God swore in his wrath, they will not. There are those Christians, I believe, who are stone deaf. They don't hear God speak, and God is not real to them. And so the writer of Hebrews is warning the danger. And so what's so important is that you have the kind of relationship with the Holy Spirit that you can always hear his voice. That's why you have those words. If any man hear my voice, and if, if you worry, have I fallen away, as long as you can hear God speak, when your Pastor Mark preaches to you, when you're gripped, and when you can sense, when you've grieved the Spirit, I would define spirituality as closing the time gap between sin and repentance. In other words, how long does it take you to admit you were wrong? You sinned. Some say, I'll never admit I was wrong. And as a consequence, 25 years later, big gap between when they fell or grieved the Spirit or wouldn't forgive and they're still stubborn, won't, won't admit that they made a mistake. Some narrow the time gap to a few months, and they climb down and say, I was wrong. Some narrow the time gap to a few weeks, and they cool off, and they say sorry. Some narrow the time gap to a few days, and they say, I shouldn't have said that. I messed up. I'm sorry. Some narrow the time gap to a few hours. That's better. Some narrow the time gap to a few minutes. That's better. Because you're getting to know his ways. And some to a few seconds. And immediately, as soon as they say something they shouldn't have, or lost their temper, or messed up, immediately they say, I'm sorry. You see, closing the time gap between when you were wrong and when you admitted you were wrong. And this kind of relationship is what the New Testament puts before us, that we can always hear his voice. And so here's the thing. He's no respecter of persons. He won't bend the rules for any of us. And the fact is, that we can get to know his ways and understand 
that he wants this kind of relationship with us, when the Holy Spirit in us is ungrieved. And that way, when you read the Bible, it makes all the difference in the world when you see what you've never seen before. So many of us, when we read the Bible, only look for the things that's going to confirm what we want to believe. Many years ago, October 31st, 1955, I'd been preaching just uh, under a year. I was a student at Trevecca Nazarene University. I was brought up Church of the Nazarene. And I was given a church uh, while I was a student in Palmer, Tennessee. And uh, my grandmother, my grandma Kendall, bought me a brand new car, a 1955 Chevrolet, so that I could go from Trevecca, 115 miles to Palmer, on a fr Friday afternoon, come back Sunday night, or sometimes Monday morning. And one Monday morning, driving from my church down near Chattanooga, all the way back to Nashville, I felt, I don't think I'll read... Uh, turn on the radio now. I think I'll just pray all the way back. And I can take you to the spot on the road on old US 41. When all of a sudden, while I'm praying, two scriptures come to my mind. One, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 7. The other, Matthew 11, verse 30. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I begin to think, Lord, help me, help me to cast my care upon you. Because right now my burden is heavy. It's not light. And God seemed a thousand miles away when I promise you, all of a sudden, there was the Lord Jesus. I'm driving. And right over here is, is Jesus. And he's interceding for me to the Father and the first thing that struck my mind, it's so literal, because the, it was like the Father was behind me. To his right, to my right, there's Jesus, right hand of God, praying for me. And it was so real. I burst into tears, feeling so loved. Never in my lifetime have I felt so loved. And he was so real. And I could tell you, more real than you are right now. More real than you are right now. And I just... Watched. I was a spectator for the next hour driving to Nashville. I don't know how I did it. When I get to heaven, I want a video replay to see what <laughs> was I was doing for that hour. I know that it went through Manchester and Smyrna. And then I remember coming into Smyrna just about uh, 20 miles before you get to Nashville when I heard the words of Jesus say to the Father, he wants it. And I heard the Father reply, he can have it. In that moment, I entered into what I would call rest of soul. You could call it baptism of the Spirit, whatever you want to call it. Never, ever had I had such peace. I didn't know you could have anything like that. And for about a minute, maybe it was only 30 seconds, I saw the face of Jesus looking at me. If I were an artist with perfect recall, I could tell you exactly what he looked like. His eyes, his nose, everything. Olive skin, I remember that much. I get to Trevecca, 10 minutes till 8 in the morning. Started off at 6.30 back in East Tennessee. I go to class at 8 o'clock. I think, what was that? Whatever was that? My closest friend came running across the campus later that day. He said, Artie, what's happened to you? I said, I don't know, but something did. He said, yeah, I can see it. I, what is it? I said, well, I know one thing. I'm saved. He said, well, you already knew that. No, I said, this is different. This is different. I can never be lost. Oh, Artie, you'll change your mind on that. I said, I better don't. That was many years ago. Before the day was over, my theology changed. Renovated, completely changed. I thought I had discovered something new. In fact, the next day or two, I thought, I'm the first since the Apostle Paul to see this. <laughs> I was wrong. 
It's just historic Christian faith, sovereign grace, secure with God. And I thought my family would be so thrilled, my grandmother took the car back. <laughs> and now I'm going into no man's land where people wouldn't invite me because of my Nazarene background. Reformed people wouldn't invite me because of my Nazarene background. And then when I told them about this, these Reformed people were all cessationists. They said, that can't happen to you. I said, well, let me in to believe what you'd believe. How can I come to believe what you believe? Well, they couldn't answer that. But the thing is, I was in no man's land for a long time. My father, he said, son, you've broken with God. I said, no, I'm closer to God than I've ever been in my life. He said, prove to me, prove to me that you haven't broken with God. Well, I was so anxious to please my dad. And I said, well, I shouldn't have said this. I said, I'm going to have a ministry that is international. Really? Hmm. When? This is in 1956. I said, uh, one year from now. He said, would you put that in writing? Yeah. So he got out a sheet of paper, I.R.T. Kendall, as of this date, will have international ministry one year from now. I signed it. I thought it would be in two or three months. A year later, I wasn't even in the ministry. <laughs> Five years later, I was a door-to-door -door vacuum cleaner salesman. <laughs> And of course, my father felt fully vindicated. And, and I began to wonder, is this really going to happen? And people go up to my dad and say, how's your son, R.T.? Oh, he's organized a door-to-door. I didn't hear what, Mr. Kendall, well, how's R.T. doing? He says, door-to-door. I didn't hear you. He's a door-to-door -door vacuum cleaner salesman. He was so ashamed of me. And I was so embarrassed. All things changed eventually. It could be that someone here, you've been given a promise. You wonder, how long? How long? How long? And in those days, when I had so much to learn, I thought I knew everything. I realized I knew so little. The time came when I began to see that the Holy Spirit wasn't going to bend the rules for me. And hard though this may be for you to believe, that as recently, between the time I sold my last vacuum cleaner and I become the minister of Westminster Chapels, just four years. I don't know whether they would want me at Westminster Chapel if they'd known I was a door-to-door -door vacuum cleaner so recently. But that's how quickly God can make something happen. He, Hezekiah, when they had such a wonderful Passover, they remarked, everything happened so suddenly. It's a matter of getting to know his ways and to know that he won't bend the rules for us. And you just want the truth, the truth, whatever it leads to. So when I was at Westminster, I started my Sunday morning sermon preparation on Monday morning. I had four sermons a week to preach, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Thursday lunchtime, and Friday evening. That's all we did for 25 years, prepare sermons and preach around the country. It only happened once. It only happened once when I didn't have any time to prepare at all. I was out preaching all over Britain, and it was now Saturday morning. And 9 o'clock Saturday morning, never will forget it. Lord, please let there be no interruptions today, uh, no knock on the door, no phone call, because you know what kind of week it's been. And I'm sorry, I just haven't got around to preaching, to, to preparing. And so, never forget it. Just before I go into my study, Louise and I have uh, an argument. By the way, I come from the hills of Kentucky. Uh, I wouldn't want you to feel inferior to me over that. 
I, uh, I don't think I'm a cut above you. I probably am, but I don't think it. My wife is from Illinois, Northern Illinois. She's a snob. And one Saturday morning, we got into an argument. In Kentucky, we'd call it a dandy. I slammed the door, went to my desk, opened the Bible, said, Lord, give me something for tomorrow. <laughs> Jesus, deal with that woman. <laughs> 11 o'clock, blank sheet of paper, pen, Bible, nothing. 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, nothing, 2 o'clock, I was, I was now in a panic stage, Lord, please, please, you know that what I say tomorrow will go all over the world, you've got to help me, silence, except I thought I heard him say, really, <laughs> 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, you see, I was waiting for her. I went into the kitchen. I can see her now, standing by the refrigerator. She was crying. I said, honey, I'm sorry. It was all my fault. Well, it was not all your fault. It was partly my fault. I said, nope. It's all my fault. And I am so sorry. We hugged, we kissed. I went back to the same desk, to the same Bible, same blank sheet of paper, and I promise you, in 45 seconds, minutes, and a few seconds, I got everything I needed for Sunday morning. I could not write the words fast enough. The thoughts just poured into me, they just poured into me. and. In 45 minutes, I had everything I needed. You see, you can accomplish more in five minutes when the Spirit comes down than in five years when you're trying to work things up. And I began to see that God is no respecter of persons. And I had to conform. And by the time I climbed out from 9 o'clock in the morning to 4, that was about seven hours, I closed the time gap. And so what God is saying to you, be willing to climb down, lose face, so that you might have a sense of his presence, because the key is the anointing. The anointing is the ungrieved spirit coming down in great measure when you can sense his will, when the word is just opened up, instead of looking at the word and seeing the same verse for two minutes, five minutes, ten minutes. When you pray, your mind wanders. But when the spirit is ungrieved and God shows you things, it changes everything. And that's what I mean by the sensitivity of the spirit. And when the anointing causes truth to be unveiled, and you see things you'd never thought of before. And you realize that God is wanting to reveal himself in great measure and in great power. He won't bend the rules for anybody. And the thing is, it's worth it all when you're willing to climb down and just say, I messed up. And I'm sorry. And I don't know whether anybody here needs a word like this. But it crossed my mind that somebody here, just maybe, this is what you need. And I'm just wondering if, you know, they asked me earlier how I'm going to close the service. And I said, I, I don't know. But it, I, I'm just wondering, is there anyone here, you say, RT, I needed that. And you could easily sort it out privately, but 
I wonder if you should strike while the iron is hot and to show that you needed that word. And I'm going to put, put it to you that in the next 30 seconds, if that's a word for you, you'd like to show heaven and earth that you want this to be a day where your life is changed. You say, I've got it wrong. You're sorry about your anger. You're sorry about your bitterness. In the next 10 seconds, I'm going to ask you to stand. You say, in front of all these people, yell. Does it matter to you what the people think? You're doing it before God. Five, four, three, two, one. If you're one of those, stand to your feet. Stay standing. See, this is the first step, wanting to honor God, not to impress anybody. Just pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you. I'm sorry for my bitterness. Wash my sins away by your blood. I invite your ungrieved spirit to come now in great measure. As best as I know how, I rededicate myself to you for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you want to be a part of getting more Bible teaching out across the world, visit realfaith.com slash donate. And for more content like this, visit realfaith.com. Thanks for listening. And remember, it's all about Jesus.